welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. If you'd like to connect with us or browse resources, please go to kingroad.ca and click New Here. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy for a number of months. Uh, 1 Timothy isn't a very long book. It's only six chapters, and, and we will be going through it just a few verses at a time. So not long portions of Scripture, like when we go through the Psalms in summer, we read through a whole psalm and we preach on it. This is going to be more, much more brief in terms of the Scripture verses, but these verses are packed with things that we need to know. So before I get into the verses, just a bit of background on the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, As we'll see in a moment, the book is actually a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, his student, his fellow pastor, Timothy. And he's writing it to Timothy to exhort him, to encourage him, to bless him. Because Timothy's pastoring the church in Ephesus at this time. And there's there's a lot of stuff going on in Ephesus that makes it really difficult. So Paul is writing this letter to him to encourage him, exhort him. Now, in the last couple centuries, in the the scholarly world or the academics who look at the New Testament, there's been a lot of debate and a lot of people, these scholars, trying to disprove who actually wrote this. They look at the the facts and they look at the words in the book and they look at, uh, yeah, the grammar of the book and they go, you know, this really can't be Paul who wrote this. And there's a lot of scholars who believe that, generally scholars who actually, they don't really want to see the the book as authoritative for our lives. So then they they try to attack who the author is. But the fact is, when you look at the, when you study it, if you go look at some good commentaries on it, they'll talk about these arguments, what those arguments are in detail. I'm not going to go into it all. It'll take way too much time. But ultimately, when you look at the evidence for Paul being the author, the evidence is just as great, if not greater, That he, yes, indeed, he is the author. One of the biggest pieces of evidence is how widely this book was spread throughout the churches of the Roman Empire early on. So in the 80s and 90s, there was, and not 1980s, 1990s, we're talking about just 80, right? 80 through 89, 90 through 99. Those years, those couple of decades, this book was spread rapidly, widely throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the churches that worshiped Jesus, and people wanted to read this book. And so there's a lot of historical evidence showing just the amount of copies of this book that are out there. It was spread widely. And spreading a letter widely back then, if if you didn't believe it was true, you really didn't want to spread it. Like, it was expensive. It was a big deal to, to spread letters, to send letters. No such thing as email. Right? You aren't typing up an email and just hitting send. You aren't just resending something somebody sent to you because they made you feel guilty to resend it. None of that's happening. It's, it's like you get this letter and it's like, man, this is important. We've got to make sure this gets sent on to the next church. And so in order to do that, you had to, re, you had to copy it. You had to seal it. You had to give it to a letter carrier. And then he had to find his way to the next church somehow. Even the postal service back then, the Romans actually had a pretty developed postal service where they had riders and horses that would go X number of kilometers, and then it was like a relay race, and they they would take the letters, they would hand it to the next guy. 
They could get 800 kilometers within 24 hours. But, so that's like here to Prince George, right? Or past Prince George. Within 24 hours, horse and rider. But there was only official government business, like military news, news from Caesar's palace, those kinds of things. Not spreading a letter from the church. So you think about the difficulty and how hard it was to send things, and how, plus how widely this book was spread. It's very good evidence that this is authoritative, that this is God's word given to the Apostle Paul as stated in the letter. So Paul sent this letter, as I said, as an encouragement to Timothy as he's teaching, as he's pastoring in Ephesus. And if you could sum up this book, you could say that the one overarching goal of the book is to see the gospel change lives. To see the gospel change lives, and then to see those lives work to build a healthy and strong church. The kind of church that can withstand false teachings. The kind of church that can withstand the attacks from outside the church, from the culture around them. The kind of church that can exude truth and love as they stand strong. So today we're going to look at the first two verses of the book, looking at the author, the recipient, and how the gospel changed their lives. So the big idea for today's message, gospel-shaped people make gospel-shaped churches. Gospel-shaped people make gospel-shaped churches. And there's three points. Number one, know the author. Number two, know the recipient. And number three, know God. So the first point, know the author. First Timothy chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So the ancient writers used to start their letters by stating who was sending it. Not by just saying, hey, Paul, or hey, Toby, or hey, Cam, right? Like how we send emails today, right? Like, like you know, and, and honestly, the way they did it back then was better. Like just stating up front who's sending it. Because what? When you go to your email box, you see an email address you maybe don't recognize, but it says, hey, Paul, and then you open it up, and it's either... You know, somebody, like, some random email that's come to you having this sob story about how they need money, and you're just like, I've never met this person, like, what? Clearly, and you hear from your friends that they receive these emails too. Or maybe it's somebody from high school trying to sign you up for Amway, and you're just like, man, if I would have just known it was this up front, I'd just hit delete, and everything would have been good. But they didn't do that back then. Back then, they said, who wrote it right up front? So Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul starts all his letters this way. He starts by naming himself, and then he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So what does that even mean? Well, the word apostle is apostolos in Greek. And in, apostolos in the Bible has two uses. Number one, um, it's just to state that somebody's a messenger. So somebody's bringing a message. It could be any message. And it'll say apostolos, and that's, that's what that means, just that person is a messenger. But then the other way, the second way that this is used, is as an authoritative title 
of the person bringing that message. And that's how Paul uses it here. You may ask, well, how do you know that? Because he writes here, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then he says, who has been sent by the command of God and of Jesus. So I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, who's been sent by God and Jesus. And so if he was only a messenger, he wouldn't repeat that. He wouldn't say... Um, he, or he would just say, uh, Paul, messenger of Jesus Christ. But he says, no, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. So he's saying, God the Father and Jesus Christ have sent me as an apostle. So they're sending him with the authority of God, of Christ Jesus himself. Paul is being sent. I'll get more into God, the Savior, and Jesus, our hope in that third point later. I'll come back to this. But Paul is saying that he's writing this letter with authority. He's being sent by God the Father and Jesus Christ with authority to bring this message. So now to know a little bit more about who Paul is, I think it would be good to look at where he came from, what gave him the understanding he had of who Jesus was, how the gospel had already come to work in his life by the Holy Spirit, why he believes that he has the authority to write such a letter. So if you've grown up in the church, many of you probably know the story of the Apostle Paul and how he came to know who Jesus was, what he was doing before that. But there are many people who don't know that. Many people didn't grow up in the church. Many people who watch us online or even here today who haven't heard this. So I want to go into the history of who Paul is Good for the kids to know. Kids are in here today to listen to who the Apostle Paul was. So when you look, read in the Bible, you'll come across the name Paul in the New Testament. And his first name was Saul, actually. So he's known as Saul among the Jews, Paul among the Gentiles. And now when you read in the Bible and you see the name Saul, you'll also see it in the Old Testament. So is that the same guy? No. Two guys, totally different times. Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament. Totally different person than Paul or Saul in the New Testament, who's Saul of Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus was the son of a Jewish father who was also a Roman citizen. He grew up and became very wise in the scriptures, became a very well-respected leader among the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. Um... In the book of Philippians, he actually writes down his credentials. He's, he's talking about how people are bragging about who they are. And he's like, well, if you're going to brag, I can even brag more. Because look, here's who I am. So he says, if anyone else thinks I, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. So this is, he's talking about, this is kind of how I used to identify myself before Jesus got a hold of him. Right? He was like, he was the man, right? He was like an all-star of the Pharisees. Everyone knew who Paul was. So he had every reason to brag in his community about who he was. So much so, the leaders put him in charge of taking down the Christians. So when Jesus died, 
was resurrected and ascended to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the gospel starts spreading throughout Jerusalem and Judea like, like crazy. People are coming to faith in Jesus. Jews are turning to Jesus, worshiping him in the temple. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're getting really upset about this. They're going, why are people following this Jesus? Like, he died, we buried him. And everybody's like, no, he's alive, he rose again. He is Lord. So the Jews want to put down and take down the the Christian uprising, and they put a man in charge, and his name is Saul. Saul, you're the guy. Stop the spread of this news about Jesus. In Acts 7, when you see, you see uh, a man named Stephen, who's one of the first, uh, first leaders in the early church, and he was arrested, and he's taken out to be executed for preaching about who Jesus is. And Acts 7, starting verse 58, says this, Then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. So stoning back in those days was taking these rocks and people would just throw them at people. That was how they brought capital punishment or death to a person who had done something wicked. And so in their mind, the Christians had done this wicked thing. It was blasphemous to talk about Jesus this way. So they were going to kill Stephen this way. And they did. So they took him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen died. And the very next verse says, And Saul approved of his execution. So Saul was a persecutor of the church and approved of executing people who preach the name of Jesus. You continue reading on in Acts 8, and you'll see Saul arresting Christian men and women and sending them off to jail. And then he was on on his way to Damascus to tell the leaders there to start doing the same thing. And as he's heading to Damascus... He gets knocked over by a blinding light and a voice. So from Acts 9, verse 3, says this, Now as he went on his way, so Saul is going to Damascus, as he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul's men take him at this point. He had been blinded by this light. He couldn't see. He couldn't make his own way. So his men had to take him into Damascus. And the Lord tells a Christian named Ananias to go and see Saul and to give him instructions. But Ananias is a little skittish, right? Because the news about who Saul is is spread. And Ananias is like, Lord, um, not really sure I want to go see Saul because he's the one who's killing Christians. And the Lord says, don't worry about it. Got a purpose for him. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul does suffer. He suffers for preaching Christ everywhere he goes. He gets mocked, he gets beaten, he gets tortured. He gets taken outside of a city and stoned to death. Everybody thinks he's dead. They go back into the city. But he wakes up. And he walks away. He's also in prison three times that we know of. In Jerusalem, in Philippi, and in Rome. But even in the midst of all that suffering and all that persecution he faced, he planted at least 14 churches during his approximately 21 years of ministry. He preached to countless numbers of people, also wrote 13 separate letters that we know of that became New Testament books. And his letters that he wrote were considered scripture from the beginning. So Peter, uh, a fellow apostle of Paul, wrote this about Paul's writings. It says, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. That's from 2 Peter 3.16. So this is Paul who is writing this letter that we're studying. This is the same Paul that was knocked over, blinded by Jesus. The same Paul who prior to that was persecuting Christians. This Paul called and saved by the Lord Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, inspired by God to write multiple scriptural books, sent with the authority of God to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. And honestly, God used this man without God using Paul to do this. Yes, God could have used somebody else, but the fruit of Paul's ministry has led to King Road Church. inspired by the Holy Spirit to write more separate books of Scripture than anyone else. So is there a better person to learn from when we talk about building up a strong church? I mean, if you, you look at what the, like the current cultural trends are for church planting, you go hear from uh, church planters uh, across Canada or the United States or Britain or wherever you go and you hear what their methods and their strategies are and they might, you might have guys who have planted like dozens of churches and all their, what their strategies are to do this and you can take all the notes that they do. Or you can look at all the, the church growth models from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and go, okay, we're going to do what that did. We're going to try to adopt the, the Willow Creek model or the, the Harvest model or whatever model you want to adopt for, for spreading the gospel and planting churches. Or you can go to scripture and hear from Paul. What would you rather do? I'll choose Paul any day. So this is the author of 1 Timothy The Apostle Paul. So now you know a little bit about the author, but let's find out a little bit more about the recipient. So Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, the first part. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Paul writes to somebody named Timothy, who's the recipient of the letter. So if you don't know who Timothy is, he was somebody 
who uh, was one of the Apostle Paul's most trusted co-workers. He came to Paul as a, as a young man. Paul got to know him, um, yeah, in a, at a very young age and, to, and got to know him a little bit and his family. And then at some point, Paul went to him and said, you want to come along with me? Church planting. I've seen promise in you kind of a thing. So we can learn more about who Timothy is as we look at some new, other New Testament passages. First, if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see Paul encouraging Timothy by reminding him of his own upbringing. So Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears... I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. So this is Timothy's grandmother Lois. So Paul's saying, the faith that you have, Timothy, first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So Timothy is raised by these women who knew God, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice. And because of the faithfulness of these women in raising him, Timothy grew up knowing the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says again, but as for you, you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy has known the scriptures from a young age, and he's studied them, and, and Paul is saying, even the Old Testament, you can learn about who Jesus is and come to faith in Jesus through reading and knowing your Old Testament. All we know about Timothy's dad is that he was a Greek. That's all the Bible says about him. But in the same passage that we hear Timothy's name, we also see how committed he was to the mission that God is calling him to. So Acts, you go back into the book of Acts, chapter 16, the Apostle, call, the Apostle Paul, um, Luke is writing about the Apostle Paul and Timothy here. So it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. This is the first time in the Bible where Timothy's name shows up, okay, Acts 16. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So he's probably like a young adult. You think like a late teen, early teen, or early 20s. It's kind of the age that he would have been at at this point. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So you picture the scene, the Apostle Paul shows up at his house. He says, Timothy, hey, let's go, on the, let's go on the mission together. We're going to plant churches. And he's like, that sounds awesome, Paul. I, I'm, I love it. I want to come. I want to spread the gospel with you. Where are we going first? We're going to go talk to some Jews in the synagogue. Ah, sorry, Paul, they're not going to listen to me. 
There's no way they're going to listen to me. Well, son, there's one way. There's one way. Right? And if you read this passage, as, as I have many times, and many of you have, and I was talking with my family about this this week, like, there's a question that comes up. Like, how did the Jews know? Right? Is this like, is this like a Costco card? What is this? Right? Like, this, is, this comes to your mind. You ask. Now, probably what was happening back in those days was the families would bring their babies to the synagogue, and the priest would do the procedure, and, and everybody would know the family and everything. And so, you know, Timothy had never been brought there. That's probably what happened, right? And Paul, being a Pharisee, or, yeah, a Pharisee by training, actually would have even had the Jewish authority to do this. But think about it. Timothy's a young adult when this happens. Late teens, early 20s. And this is the kind of sacrifice that Timothy is willing to make. It wasn't about holiness. He wasn't saying, like, I need to be, I need to have circumcision in order to be a Christian. That wasn't what was happening. So there were false teachers in the day saying that, that if you want to do that, you got to follow all the Jewish traditions and the, the Jewish rules. But that wasn't the case anymore. But why is he doing it? To win their hearing. He made this sacrifice because he knew that without it, the people he was going to see wouldn't even listen to him. I, uh, I remember a young man uh, from India about a year ago showed up at the church, um, had a turban on. And we had never met this man, and uh, Imran met with him and, and talked with him and found out that this guy is indeed a Christian. Christian from India coming to Canada to study and choosing to still wear the turban. So the question is, well, why would you do that? Right? Like norm, around here, if you see somebody wearing a turban, it's a safe assumption that that person is a devoted Sikh. Because what the turban represents in Sikhism is an inward change. So it's like an outward display of an inward change. And so this young man said to Imran, well, he's like, I've had an inward change. The inward change, the Holy Spirit has changed me and brought me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is my way of showing that I have that inward change. And the bonus is that it actually wins me a hearing with my Sikh neighbors. See, Timothy was young and bold and willing to make sacrifices in his call to follow Jesus. When the situation in Ephesus needed someone to step in and bring wisdom and oversight, Timothy is the one actually whom Paul sent there. So in Acts, um, like Timothy was just coming on board at that point, right? And then Timothy, if you read through the book of Acts and you read through Paul's letters, Timothy travels with Paul all over the place. But then when the things start going south in Ephesus, he's like, Timothy, you're the guy. We gotta, I got to send you there. Even though you're young, I'm sending you there. So that's the purpose of the letter, to encourage Timothy in his work in Ephesus. So think of the, think of the young man that Timothy is and the sacrifice he's made and the, the call that has now been placed on him by God. And Tim, Paul says that I've laid my hands on you like that is the commissioning for this role. That's what you did with pastors. We still even do it today when we commission a pastor. We get other pastors and church leaders to come lay hands on the new pastor to commission him for that role 
And that's what had happened. It was, a, it was a work of God by the Holy Spirit. So Timothy was bold. He took risks, made sacrifices. So examples like this, if we, if we think of Timothy or you think of that young man that came to the church a year ago, examples like this should make us ask the question, what kind of sacrifices are we willing to make in our lives for Jesus? What kind of sacrifices can we make? Maybe you're in a relationship that doesn't honor him. Maybe somebody you're dating, right, um, isn't a Christian. Maybe you are with that person in ways that you should only be with if you're married. And you know this isn't honoring Jesus, but you're so, you just, it's so good. How can I say no to this? What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Maybe it's music that you like, but you listen to it, and man, those lyrics are raunchy. And you know those lyrics are raunchy. And they're like over the top, raunchy. And yet you still listen because you're like, man, the beat's so good. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Think of the sacrifices, (laughs) right, that we've talked about. And giving up, like, a couple songs? (laughs) Shouldn't be too hard. Yet our hearts want what they want, right? So what are you willing to sacrifice? But then what are you willing to give up? Like, so that's just for Jesus. But then what are you willing to give up in order to share Jesus? What kind of sacrifices and risks are you willing to take? Because maybe people at school or at work, they know you're a Christian because they hear that you've gone to church or you've talked about your, your fellow friends at church or you talked about uh, you know, prayer at some point or something. People know that, but you don't really talk about it that much because you know if you talk about it too much, well, you'll be on the outside of the conversations. You won't be invited to the coffees anymore. You won't be invited to the dinners or the the evening hangouts anymore. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Are you willing to risk your reputation amongst your fellow co-workers or your fellow classmates to share this incredible news of Jesus with them? Because how else are they going to hear about it? If you as a Christian have been put into a situation where there's a whole bunch of non-Christians... And you know from their stories and their lives, you hear that there's like no Christian influence in their lives whatsoever. Isn't it possible that God has placed you there for that? So what are you willing to sacrifice? Maybe your friends like to party and get drunk and get high. Are you willing to risk those friendships by saying no to that? And instead telling them that Jesus is the Savior, and Jesus is the one that they should be living for. And I understand, right? We don't want to be the Bible thumpers. We don't want to carry around our big study Bible everywhere we go and just hold it up in the air and yell, yell at people. Like, no, that's not what we want you to do either. So if you need wisdom on how to do that, approach us. Approach one of the pastors or approach a Christian mentor in your life. Maybe you have a father, a, a grandfather, or an uncle just a friend who you know is much more uh, open and bold about his faith, sit down and talk with them about it. How do you share the gospel in a way that 
shows your commitment to Jesus, but you and your approach doesn't offend the person. If they get offended, it's actually the gospel that offends. It's a fine line, truly, but we need to know what that line is in our lives. So to be... To be a Timothy, it requires an unwavering commitment to Jesus and a willingness to change your life for him. And the church needs more Timothys. But both Paul and Timothy knew God. So on to the third point, knowing God. Second part of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is, a, this is a typical blessing given by Paul when he writes a letter to state his name, address the recipient, and then say, grace and mercy or grace and peace be to you. And so here he says, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. Paul knows the grace and the mercy and the peace that believers in Christ Jesus receive. He was a persecutor and murderer of Christians, as we saw already And yet, even though he was an enemy of Jesus, God showered him with his grace. Like, thinking about, think about him going as a, as a persecutor of the church, an enemy of the church, on that road to Damascus. God knocks him over. God could just have easily, just as easily have knocked him over with a heart attack and made him dead, right? He didn't have to save him. But God chose to still save him because it shows his grace. Think about the grace of God on Paul. Think about the sins that Paul committed against the people of God. And God showered him with his grace, changed his heart by the Holy Spirit. The scales fall off his eyes, and he worships Jesus as Lord. Think of the grace. Think of the mercy he receives. He didn't get the punishment he deserved. And he showered him with peace. The Holy Spirit changed Paul's heart, resulting in peace between himself and God, peace between him and his fellow believers, even peace within himself. Because as he goes, you think about going on that missionary journeys that he goes on and, and all of the oppression and persecution that he faced, and yet By the power of the Spirit, with courage, he still carried it out. So Paul and Timothy both knew these things and lived in light of them. They also knew that God was their Savior and Jesus was their hope. Those are mentioned back in verse 1. So God the Father is not often called Savior. We usually hear that about Jesus, but God is the Savior, It is by his wisdom and grace that the plan of salvation came together. And his, his wisdom and his grace that the plan of salvation through Jesus came to be. Jesus carried out the actions to make it happen. Jesus is the one who lived the sinless life, died the death on the cross that a sinner deserves, and then raised a new life. But God the Father planned it, Jesus carried it out, and now the Holy Spirit goes and reveals these truths to us opens our hearts, transforms us, changes our minds. 
by the hearing of the gospel. Our Trinitarian God is a savior and he saves rebellious sinners like you and I. God is our savior and his faithfulness gives us hope through Jesus Christ. And the hope we have in Christ isn't just a kind of a fleeting thought or, you know, when you wish upon a star. No, that's not that kind of hope. We're talking about a hope that is grounded as a, as a firm foundation, as firm as the concrete that's under this carpet that your feet are on. The hope that we have in Christ is more sure than anything else in this life. It is a hope that you can risk changing your life for, that you can risk making sacrifices for, and that you can die for, knowing that Jesus will have you on the other side. The hope is the truth that in Christ, the gospel has reshaped our lives and our future. We have received forgiveness for our sins, cleansing from our shame, and eternal life in God's new creation. So as we close, remember the lives of Paul and Timothy and how the gospel shaped them and ultimately shaped their ministry and has now shaped churches for the last 2,000 years up to where we are today. And as we work through this book, let's be praying that the same thing would happen with us in our own lives. We all look at our own lives and can, and can see things in our lives that need to be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit, things that we need to give up and sacrifice for the gospel. And as we do that, King Road will be built into a strong church, a strong presence for the gospel. So let's do that. Let's study this book well, and let's be committed to its truths. You pray with me. Father, I thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you for your word. Your faithful servants, Paul and Timothy, who, Lord, carried out such a difficult task. I mean, going out into the world, going out into Jewish synagogues that were hostile to Christ, going out into a, a pagan, polytheistic world that is uh, hostile to Christ. Yet, Lord, you called them to do it. You gave them the power to do it. You gave them the courage to do it. And as we see in your word, they suffer. But you're with them through that all, and you give them joy, Lord. We think of Paul, and he's suffering, and he's in prison. And he's chained there in prison, and he's singing praises to God with Silas. And Lord, in your grace and your mercy, you bring power that frees them and ends up, they end up converting the very jailer who was supposed to be guarding them. Lord, your power is amazing. Help us to look at the examples of Paul and Timothy. Help us to look at your word here in the book of 1 Timothy and to change our lives according to it. Lord, give us courage. Give us grace for our neighbors. Help us to spread the gospel in truth and love. So, Father, we thank you. Be with us as Imran leads us through communion, as we remember your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, your blood shed on the cross.
In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us on social media at King Road Church. Have a great week.